Hey everyone and welcome to the podcast. This episode is proudly brought to you by, well, anybody. We are currently looking for a sponsor for the Road to Success podcast. So if you, an organization or business you know or are involved with might be interested in finding out some more information about sponsoring the Road to Success podcast, then please contact me online either via mattylovell.com or you can find me on Facebook or Instagram too. We can start to go over how things might work and have you or your business sponsoring the Road to Success podcast. Until then, enjoy the episode. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Road to Success podcast. My name is Matty Lovell. Thank you so much for joining me today as I chat to the one and only Dr. Fred Gross. Dr. Fred, how are you? Thank you, Matty. I'm fine. How are you? I'm wonderful. Thank Getting you. Getting to really the end ready. of the lockdown, hopefully. Yeah, it's a bit of a strange time at the moment. I know it's certainly a unique time in history, I think. Now, let's. I've been to one of your seminars and one of your courses, but sort of by proxy, I've, I've been a student of, of your teachings for probably five years or so. So, look, it's an honor to get to chat to you, and I'm, and I'm very appreciative of your time. So, thank you very much for, for doing this. My pleasure. There's going to be some people that are listening, Dr. Fred, that might not know who you are. So maybe we start there, that if you could maybe explain who you are and, and what you do, and maybe you've got a really sort of interesting story of, of how this sort of came about. So maybe you could, you could start with that. Well, I've been doing this for over 50 years. I'm 84 years old. And basically, I'm an ordained rabbi, one of the few in New Zealand. I've earned a PhD in psychology and I've been doing psychotherapy and training first in the medical model and then working only with entrepreneur super achievers for the last 30 years or so. I came to New Zealand in the 1980, invited to do training in Dunedin for the medical school and for Porirua Hospital and a few other places. And my work basically is to tap into the spiritual nature of the human being. I work with the understanding that the human spirit is immortal and that it's inside of you. It's the part of you that leaves when you die. And in that time, we can develop the spirit, shape it, direct it. It's called education or training. And that the physical body, which is a temporal thing, it's here just for a short period of time, carries that spirit until we decide to give up the ghost, as it were. And the work I do is to teach people how to have an amazing life, how to have a 10 out of 10 every day, how to control as a black belt the things they can control in life, and to ignore the things that they can't control. So that you can't control Donald Trump, the share market, even this coronavirus, but you can control what you put in your mouth, your fitness level, who you hang out with, how you make your money, and so forth. And I believe that people need to track every hour of every day and keep a written ideal day for every day of their life with the goal of having a 10 out of 10 day because life throws you a day and then you can top it up with what I call 10s, 25s, 50s, and 100s, things that make your heart sing. So that the day is 6 out of 10, you can add a bottle of wine, dancing, humor, going for a walk, taking a bubble bath, getting a massage, doing a cuddle, whatever it could add to that day to make it 10 out of 10 with the proviso that you need to do that every single day and train your neurotransmitters to not tolerate being half dead. Many people are 5, 6, 7 out of 10 and they think it's normal. Normal means you're half dead. And my mother who 
died at age 100, said, there's no need to practice dead. You'll be dead a long time. We need to practice alive. And part of alive is 10 out of 10. And to have everything that you look forward to, to be achieved, to make lists of your goals that are fantastic for you or important and make sure you achieve all of them. So if God forbid this was the year you were to die, you would have no regrets because you'll have done everything. Many people have a once in a lifetime experience. I would like you to have six or 10 of those a year until you decide to go on. It's a great insight into, into what you do. What sort of percentage of people do you think actually live like that? You know, if you were to... Almost nobody. Most of the yeah. people I meet are watching television, drinking beer, vomiting on a friend. And with this basic, tall, small poppy world of listening to outside propaganda and garbage. And if they're watching television, if they're glued to the COVID crisis, which is a crisis, but if they're glued to it, that means they miss out on their life. So what I work with, I look for people who are potential tall poppy. Tall poppy is someone who externalizes their hopes, their dreams, their genius, their fingerprint, and lives their life and ignores all of the propaganda and all of the lies. Virtually everything on television is false, from my point of view. Everyone is lying. All of the numbers are fake. When the end, basically, of economic meltdown, there is no virus to speak of. I think we have six dogs and 10 houses or so with virus and 4 million people. We have more skateboard accidents in the country. And so while we have an economic meltdown, and I approve of our prime minister doing the social distancing, I think it's great, we don't have a medical problem. We have an economic problem, which will end the middle class if it keeps going. So I feel very strong. So you ask me how many people, virtually very few people, I gather them uh, from the audiences I speak to, and I'm looking for people who are willing to live their life rather than to gobble down propaganda. People are addicted to McDonald's and propaganda for some reason. Yeah, it's interesting. I would agree. I think there are very few people that are sort of totally in control of, of their life and, and are going in exactly the direction they'd like to. One of the things to me, it sort of seems as though you believe that everyone is capable of, of far more than they think. And, you know, from the session that I did with you, I, I think that, I mean, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it kind of seems like you are, you believe in people to start with and you're trying to get them to realize that they can be a lot better. Would that be fair? I would take it further than that, Matty. I believe that we are incarnate angels. So I actually believe everyone I meet is an angel. And most of them have forgotten what it is to be a helper of God. I'm a God believer. So what happens is people forget that they are, in fact, angels posted to the earth to do a destiny, all of which is pre-planned with you and the creator, in my view. And so people, if they don't live up to their angelic nature, they're swilling beer and vomiting on each other and calling it life. I mean, we have horses and cows that do that. And so I not only see people as infinitely more capable, but they've taken on a belief structure of lower creatures rather than angels, which I find is very sad. And my job is to wake them up to see if they're willing to live this life rather than just pass through waving at it. Yeah, that is a, that it's a is little great. stronger statement. Yeah, no, it absolutely is, and, and probably far more fitting, I think, as well. I guess you've you've now sort of made a career or a life out of, of helping other people sort of create success in their lives, however that may mean. Do you have a definition for success, or is there a way to define success, or is it a bit too contextual to each individual? It is contextual, but the overview is to have one, a 10 out of 10 every day, 
meaning that you love the day and you top up what the world throws at you and success would be achieving whatever it is for you. Two, to have no regrets so that as you look into the future, you plan things that will provide you with no regrets because if you would regret it, I'm asking you to do it. And when you look back, you see how you can upgrade what you've done before so that when you look back, you feel a sense of heroic pride. I'm hoping that the people I work with now, as they go through this COVID virus and economic meltdown, will be able to look in the mirror and see a hero rather than somebody who listened to the six o'clock news, which was provided by someone who dropped out of primary school. And so I'm asking you to be your own authority. And so part of the success is you with integrity, living your destiny on an hourly basis. That's probably the best definition of success I've ever heard, Dr. Fred, if I'm honest. Let's talk about this 10 out of 10 day. You've mentioned it a couple of times now, and I was going to bring it up a bit further on, but um, I think it's important because it's sort of a fundamental, you know, one of the fundamentals of your teaching. So maybe if you could explain a, a 10 out of 10 day, please. The day as you step into life, depending on your habits, your context, where you are, will have all kinds of things. The weather will come at you. You might have telephone calls, emails, family, friends, business coming at you. And you can take a deep breath and say on a scale of one to 10, is this a 10 out of 10, eight out of 10, six out of 10? If you had a customer go away, if you had someone die, or if you had someone sick, you may find it tamping down the quality of your day and how you feel about the day. It's not a matter of success. It's a perception of satisfaction with the day. And so if you leave days in a raw form, it's whatever your habits are, the context you find, the challenges that come at you, the challenges you accept or not accept. And so what I ask everyone to do is that whatever comes at you, that's the first stage. Your job is to upgrade every day to 10 out of 10. What it means is you look back and you say, that was excellent. Doesn't mean it's perfect. It means that I added in a bottle of red. I added in calling a friend. I wrote a note to a neighbor. Yesterday, I made tuna salad. I make a really wild tuna salad. And I have a couple of customers on the street. So I call them up and say, are you ready for your tuna salad? And I made their day. They started giggling. And I delivered it and they thanked me very much. Okay. I also bake bread. And about every week or two, I deliver a bread to all the neighbors. And it's called Bread by Fred. And that sort of adds to the quality of the day. It's not necessarily an achievement as well as a state of satisfaction. And I'm asking people to quantify their day every single day. And since they have 100% control over the quality of the day by adding in, adding in memories, adding in planning, adding in uh, gracious acts of kindness, you can make the quality of your day excellent. And I'm saying, why wouldn't you do that? Many people slip into victim, helpless, I can't, you know, it's raining, you know, we have a virus. Well, that's fine. So you still need to have a 10 out of 10 day. Add in whatever it would be for you. Go for a run, walk your dog, cuddle your kids. It'll make the day better. Yeah, absolutely. And I think what you said there, one of the key things is, is 100% responsibility for the outcomes of your day. And taking that responsibility is also one of the things that probably sets you free a little bit, I think. Absolutely. Well, you're not a victim of the day. You're just a participant and you upgrade it to your own standards. It's almost like when you have a glass of wine, get a good glass of wine rather than stuff you used to take off varnish. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. 
Now, over the years, you, you know, you talked about having a fifty-year career. You've you've mentored or coached some amazingly successful people. And when we sort of step back and look at, you know, maybe a macro level, are there key things that sort of high performers do that separate them from others? That's a big one, Matt. Uh, yes, there is, and it has to do with a vision plus a dedication to achieving the vision. And I can't talk about individuals, but people have a sense of their own destiny, a sense of what they want to do, and they're well enough organized to pursue it. Everyone who has a vision will also have clay feet. So I have people who want to make a lot of money selling real estate. At the same time, they may not know how to read a financial statement. So they'll make a lot of money, but they may not know how to protect it or invest it and grow it or distribute it properly. And my goal is to give them the other parts of that. So if I get someone whose vision is to make a bit of money and to give back to charity and so forth, part of it will be the earning they usually do well. What they don't do is how to grow it and protect it from lawsuits and from taxes, and then how to distribute it and to whom. They're going to give it in many cases to their children who may or may not be drug addicts, may or may not be strumming the guitar as their highest purpose. And they have never been trained to be financially literate. So part of what I do is train them to train their heirs. As an entitlement to inherit, you have to be financially literate and have a vision. Does that help at all, Matt? You know, you know it certainly does. Are people that are successful, are there any innate abilities or, you know, is there anything they're born with that other people aren't? You know, is there... No, is there any, uh, no. Just desire, intensity, and focus. So I have people without legs, people with one arm, people have gone through many bankruptcies, many marriages, former drug addicts. It depends on when they make the decision to go forward, to basically make a commitment to a vision and a follow-through. And it has nothing to do with intellect has nothing to do with academics. I've got a PhD in 20 years of graduate school as a top student. Most of what I learned, 95% of it, I learned on the streets. Yeah, absolutely. What was, I, what was the quote? It's um, a formal education will make you a living. A, an informal education can create you a life, I think it is. And also a living. Don't, yeah. that, that's said by a poor person. So be careful. Don't give up on making a living. You can do both. Yes, yes absolutely. Now, one of the things that's sort of you know key to your teachings, and, and, you, and you, we did it at your seminar, and um, you know I've heard it a number of times before, is the is wealth to the power of three. The first stage of that is designing a magnificent life, and and you did a, a fantastic sort of job of explaining to me sort of a, a nine out of ten goal, and how we have a whole range of goals in our life, and you've got a, a few that are nine or ten. And maybe you could explain that for us, please. Okay, I believe that if you who is ever listening takes a deep breath and has a pencil and paper or something to write with and spends three minutes with a clock and a timer to write down as many goals as they can think of that they would like to achieve by December 31, 2022 or December 31, 2025. And if they take the three minutes and write down as many goals as they can think of, they may be able to write in three minutes, 15, 10. All, a goal is something in the future that you want. You don't have to know how to get there. You don't even have to have a realistic goal, but you need something that you really would like to pursue. You may want a new car. You may want a trip to Europe. You may want to have a baby. You may want to meet a beloved. You may want to grow your business. Whatever the goal would be that you'd like to achieve in these next three years, I'd like them first, and this is not the exercise, to actually write it down as many as they can think of. 
And then when they do that, it, and then afterward, they may have fun. I'd like them to take each of those goals and write a number next to it as to how important that is to you at this moment in time. So one means it's not very important, and a 10 means it's very important to me at this moment in time, realizing that tomorrow it could change. So in the morning, I like a cup of coffee. It's 10. In the afternoon, it's a two. I had enough, Catherine. Thank you very much. And you get a sense that you are potentizing whatever you wrote down. So you may have 10 or 15 goals written down. And let's say four or five of them will be a nine or a 10, which means they're pretty important to you at this time. How do we decide it's important? You know it's important or it's not. If you have a cancer and you have to go to the hospital, that's important. If you want to send a birthday card to an auntie, that may be less important. Not a priority. It's internal, up to you. So after we write down the goals and potentize the goals, we can then take any 10 goal and write it on a separate piece of paper. So the goal might be to accumulate $100,000 for investment during the meltdown, which will provide economic advantage. And so that the goal in the next three or four years was to be thrifty and accumulate asset and or find other people's money to invest in this downturn. The market probably is going to drop 10 to 20 percent. I'm talking about real estate now. And so then I would like you to take a goal to invest in real estate with $100,000 and take two minutes on the clock and write down all the behaviors and activities and people you could muster in your mind to achieve that goal of reducing $100,000 for investment capital in three years. And so then I would ask them to pull from inside of them uh, how to get a mortgage, how to uh, get more equity, how to refinance, whatever you have to do to get capital to invest. And they may be able to, in a two-minute period, write down 10 goals, 10 things to do. And when you ask them, every one they wrote down would help them achieve that goal. It's not a right or a wrong. It's your goal. And these would be the behaviors that would get us there. So now we have one goal itemized and extended. And I believe, I tend to ask people, how many goals do you think you have in your unconscious? You just had three minutes and wrote down 15. And they'll say 50 or 100 or 200. And I say, no, from my point of view, I've been doing this for 50 years. You have about 10,000 goals inside of you right now, 10,000. And some of them will be nines and tens. I assume about 3,000 of the 10,000 will be a nine or a 10, meaning important to you. And if you don't know what they are, you wrote 15, that means that you have 2,985 that you don't know. How can you achieve your goals if you don't know them and you haven't itemized them, which means that you'll live your entire life oblivious to what's important to you and then die having never lived? which to me is a desecration of God's plan. Okay. So the purpose of writing this stuff down, this is wealth to the power of one, is to be able to focus your life on your nine and 10 goals. The purpose of life is to achieve all of your nine and 10 goals, all 3,000. And when you get close to that, it'll give you a long life. We can get you another 10,000 because you'll find others that you really want to do. They're really important to you. But instead, you, until you treasure trove out of your unconscious, you won't know what they are. And if you don't want to know what they are and you feed your life with television and Netflix and, you know, being a nice person, that's wonderful. But you'll have missed your whole destiny and purpose, which is sad. You can do both.
Yeah, that's that's a fantastic explanation. I, I think that's you know that's probably when we talk about defining success, someone that that is able to achieve a, a significant amount of their nines and tens throughout their life is probably a successful person. In my terms, may not be in other terms. Other people say being a good mother is their highest goal. That means they're missing out on another three thousand goals because you have more than that. Yeah, yeah. Okay. You ask me what else about wealth to the power of one. This is the first wealth designing a life. Mm-hmm. Is finding out, implementing, and then arranging to implement your goals in a systematic way, and realize that a lot of the small puppies will think you're crazy. Sit here, have a beer, rather than create a life, live it. Because I see as as angels have work to do here. Otherwise, we get caught up in the propaganda of the authoritarian dictatorships that we have now. Mm. Two in this, we talked about tens, twenty fives, fifties, and hundreds which is another part of this magnificent life. And it says that inside of you are things that are already hardwired that you really like, focusing only positive. So that if I like chocolate, I like chocolate. How come I like chocolate? I don't know. Why do I like only dark chocolate? I don't know. But why would I want to eat milk chocolate or do something else with my calories if I know I like chocolate? So part one is to know that you have things that are in you right now that you like. There'll be things you don't like. You may not like asparagus. It's okay. It's there. It's hardwired in. So my job is to ask people to start writing down what their tens are. Ten is anything that makes your heart sing on a daily basis. Anything that makes your heart sing on a daily basis. So that could be a cuddle. It could be a walk. It could be listening to music. It could be a glass of wine. It could be Uh, spending time with your kids. It could be walking the dog. It could be calling your mom or calling a mate. Whatever it is that when you do it, it's just natural. It just comes out of you watching a good footy match. And so I'd love you to pay attention that tens are on a daily basis, make your heart sing. 25, 50, 75 are on a fortnightly or semi-annual basis. So a fortnightly basis of things that make your heart sing might be going to the theater going deep sea fishing, assuming that we're allowed to do that, playing a foursome of golf, going to uh, a concert. It would be something that if you did every day, it would be too much, but every fortnight to a month is wonderful. Won't take it too much further. But what I'm suggesting is you already have that inside of you, and our job is to pull it out, write them down, so you have 500 of the 10s, 250 of the 25s, and whenever you need to top up a day, let's say you're having a six out of 10 day, You go to your list of tens and add in a glass of wine, add in a funny movie, add in a cuddle, add in uh, working in the garden or whatever it is for you. And by doing that, you bring the energy of your pleasure out of your unconscious and you put it around you and you push away the toxic energy of the small poppy propaganda culture. Yeah, that's a um, you know I had Paul on the podcast as well, Doctor Fred, and um, you know he he talked about the tens, twenty fives. Good, he said. I, I Paul introduced me to Harcourts. It's wonderful. Yeah, yeah, it's a fantastic concept. And you know, one of the things that I, I I sort of highlighted for me when I I went over my notes from the, the session we did with you, you said this, and I'll, I'll quote you here because it's perfectly read. It's um, we all have areas of genius. These are your natural talents and abilities hardwired into your DNA. Cooperate with your soul and you will soar. I like that. <laughs> yeah. I liked it too. I wrote it down. 
and I think that's right. And trying to f- at least first plan and understand what's important to you, I think, is a, a critical element that most people miss out. And you talk about people just sort of floating through life, not knowing what's important. And I think taking some time to do those exercises is a really powerful concept. The next sort of thing you talked about in the power three was was asset based wealth, and you've already talked about the, the different concepts of you know earn it, protect it, grow it, distribute it. I wonder if you could sort of just highlight a couple of those and and, and what they mean uh, specifically. Okay. Many people are allergic to wealth. When they think about them having 10 million in assets, they freak out. It's almost like it's something sinful as a small poppy to have assets rather than that money is a power or a force and you can use it for different purposes. My wife and I spend a lot of our money supporting kids in Cambodia. We sponsor about 35 kids through school. Now with the meltdown, I'm sending them money to eat. And so that money then allows me to do that. Many people have associated money with sin. So part one, I would love you to develop what I call wealth consciousness. Who can do it? Everyone. It has nothing to do with education. It has to do with desire and then learning things. Like you can learn to play tennis. You can learn to swim. You can learn to uh, sing. Even if you don't sing well, you can still sing, play the piano. And part of what I'm asking in this wealth is to allow yourself to be wealthy so that in a period of time, depending on what you're willing to do, you can accumulate assets so at some point you can stop working. What happens is that as people go through age, they wait for the government to support them, which is wonderful that New Zealand has that. Places like Cambodia, places like uh, Thailand, places like Afghanistan don't have that network under the people to support so that as soon as they stop earning, they stop eating. We have this network and it actually paralyzes people rather than your job is to accumulate assets so that at some point you can stop working, you don't need any more, and you can live off the assets or you can live off the dividends that come from the assets. It's a problem now with low interest rates, problem now with low inflation and upbuilding, but there are ways you can build assets and use them to live on when you're not earning. Work as we know it with salaries and with pensions is for poor people. You're allowed to be poor, but I don't know why you would glorify it. So that a lot of salaries is like an allowance that Big Daddy gives you an allowance rather than you're a farmer or you're an entrepreneur and you go out and make a living or you're a hunter-gatherer and you go out and shoot deer or you do whatever you have to do to create your well-being. When people shift to the allowances, which are called salaries, what happens is it makes them helpless and it makes them stupid and it makes them basically dependent on an outside authority, which I don't believe in. I believe you have to be able to support yourself and your family through your wits. Everyone can be an entrepreneur. I can teach kids how to set up a lemonade stand. I can take inner city kids and teach them how to be very effective entrepreneurs if they're willing. If they're too busy doing drugs, they won't be able to do that. So part one of this wealth creation is a willingness to be wealthy with the understanding is the purpose of having wealth will then free up your time to do good things. How can you possibly do your nine and 10 goals if you have to work 60 hours a week? Now that we've had this shutdown, people see what free time feels like. I would like you to have free time and enough assets so that you could live from the assets and not have to go back to work at all, except as an avocation which might be helping people, might be teaching, might be mentoring, might be developing skills and languages, maybe getting a PhD or changing careers, whatever that is, or doing your service as what I call an incarnate angel. 
So to move into wealth rather than allowance, everyone is on an allowance and then they want to get another 5% in minimum wage. That's for poor people. A person who's working for minimum wage can also rake leaves, wash windows, tune cars, do other things that are basically entrepreneurial or they can develop skills to do algorithms and others and really sell their skills for money. It could be wage or it could be a salary or it could be setting up your own company. So part two is a willingness to be wealthy so that you're not tied to your allowance and the person who gives it to you. When you do that, there are, you'll have different talents and abilities. Some people, for instance, can be a master chef or a master musician, but they may not know how to convert it into a business so that the skills of having a profitable business are separate from the skills of making good food or making good music. And what happens is that is not taught in the schools because none of the people in schools are on other than a salary. So all the people on allowance are teaching entrepreneurs how to be on an allowance. Rather than everyone is an entrepreneur, you get paid as a teacher for creating wealth using your class and then sharing in the wealth of the students. Think of it, and you train them all to go into business for themselves and to figure out what businesses they could develop as part of their 10-year-old curriculum. I had that in my high school. I was part of junior achievement, and they taught me how to set up corporations by the time I was 14. It was amazing, and it was opened the world for me. Yeah, I can imagine that. How do we, you know, we talk about the first step of sort of, you know, understanding and, and giving yourself permission to be wealthy and that it actually you've got to be proactive in that because the way things are set up in our current sort of societal system is that we're taught to, as you said, sort of have an allowance or a salary or and, and get a job. How can we be proactive in making sure that our mindset is we are giving ourselves permission to be wealthy in the first place? What would be one of the first steps? Well, you're going to have to ask yourself, what is your vision and what is your dream? And are you willing to create a dream, even practice with dreams? Do you know of anybody that you respect who has allowed themselves to be wealthy and is not a degenerate or a thief or a scumbag? So I would like you to gather together in your mind some of the people you know who've been successful and talk to them, interview them. How did you get there? What did you do? What was your secret? Most of it is following the money. If you take a job that pays 60000 a year, you're not going to be wealthy. If you go into real estate, for instance, and you're willing to sell, you can be wealthy. There are careers that do that. If you will sell any product from automobiles to insurance to financial planning to other careers like that, they're still possible for people to do that, will not be replaced by robots. Law, medicine, all can be replaced by robots. So I would ask you to allow yourself to see, is wealth of value enough for you to call on people who seem to be wealthy? Be careful. A lot of people who seem to be wealthy inherited it. And every time you inherit something, you're again on an allowance. You didn't create it. So basically you're useless and helpless. But thank God that you had good daddies and mothers. But they'll find that people actually created the wealth. Those are the ones I'd like you to talk to and see if they're pleased about it. Are they obsessed with it? Are they also drug addicts and murderers? They could be. But I'm asking you at least to learn from them what the world of wealth could be. And the second stage is, could you find people who create wealth who also know how to use it with a divine purpose? 
as opposed to buying drugs, as opposed to buying up companies and putting people out of work, as opposed to basically using the un- labor that can't survive because they don't pay them a living wage. So you can have murderers and dictators with wealth, or you might look and see who has allowed themselves to be wealthy, who is also what I would call doing God's work, my view. Okay, so that would be the next stage, and that would help the taint of wealth. The taint of wealth is we see so many scumbags, movie stars, actors, athletes, all of whom belong usually in hospital or in jail as the heroes of wealth because they have gold toilet seats. And I'm asking you to find some heroes of wealth. Most of them are unsung. You'd have to poke around and ask how they did it and could you emulate them. Now, you may find that all of this is too hard or it's too much or I don't want to. I'd rather play the guitar and busk. And that's what you'll do. You'll play the guitar and busk and wait for your parents to die because you won't have any money. <laughs> I, I hope that's not too harsh, Matthew. No, no, no. It's. Um, I think sometimes today we aren't allowed to be harsh enough to some people, I think. you know, or not, I don't mean harsh in a, in a mean way, but sometimes it's the truth and someone being completely honest with the way you see the world that actually, again, sets you free. Most children of wealthy people are destroyed by being made helpless and useless. Rather than give your kid a car, teach them how to earn the money for the car or they don't get it. Rather than pay for the university, lend them the money for the university without interest until they graduate so that they have to strive. When people stop striving, you cut off their claws. They can't function in the world unless somebody feeds them, which means they're helpless. Yeah. Now, Dr. Fred, what about if someone does have an absolute obsession with something that's not necessarily going to create them wealth, like we talked about someone playing the guitar or or whatever it is. If someone is called to something that maybe doesn't necessarily innately associated with, you know, wealth creation, is that still something they should pursue? I call that a hobby. And I think it's wonderful. If you play the piano and you enjoy it, I have some very wealthy realtors who run nightclubs, who sing, and do other things. The question to ask is who's going to support these people? Who's going to buy their food? Are they going to go on the dole? Most of them go on government subsidies, i.e. big daddy or big mother in this case. And I think that stealing from the civilization by being economically useless is a sin. How dare you ask your mother to support you and your three children? So what's wrong with a hobby? I think it's wonderful, but it's not a way of making a living. What if I don't have any skills in making a living? Get the skills. You haven't made a decision. It's almost like you have a belief that everyone should take care of you, like you're a a baby on the breast. So a lot of these passionate hobbies are hobbies, and they're wonderful hobbies. Do them on the weekend. Or take one or two days a week and do them. I have a lot of graphic artists among my entrepreneurs, and some of them are painters and sculptors. They do two days a week painting or sculpting, and they do six days a week making a living, five days a week making a living. They don't go on the dole and beg busking on the street corners. And there's nothing wrong with having a talent that's not economic. I think it's wonderful. Dancing is good, but everyone seems to think that's a career. It only is the career for the top one-tenth of one percent. For the rest, it's a hobby, and it's a good hobby. It's a great way to, to look at it and to understand it. There was an, an, a third part of the, the wealth, um, you call it wealth to the power of three, but it's understanding how the world works. And I find this really interesting. So maybe you could explain that for us, please. I'm not going to go there, Matthew. It's too mm-hmm. controversial. Just let me say that all media is propaganda. Everything coming from the government is propaganda. Okay, it started with Goebbels and Hitler. 
when they said that if you repeat a lie often enough, it becomes the truth after a while. And the wealth of the three is to understand how the world works and also not lose your innocence or your sense of righteousness. That you can be in a world with evil people like Hitler, like Donald Trump, and not be contaminated even though you have no control over it. That's all I'll say. Yeah, no, that's uh, that's perfect. Now let's talk about a little bit what is happening at the moment, and you've you've called it a black swan, which I I like the definition of. So we're in the middle of this at the moment, and it's something that it's different to any recession we've had, as far as I'm aware. It's it's going to be a once in a hundred year thing, once in a lifetime thing for most people. Can you under can you explain what a black swan is, and, and maybe sort of highlight what's sort of going on at the moment, and and things we can be doing? Okay, Matt. A black swan is comes from the mouth of a professor at Yale University called Nisim Talib, T-A-L-E-B. And a black swan comes from the time of Captain Cook. It's a definition. When Captain Cook came to Australia, the definition of a swan was a white bird that did X, Y, and Z. And when he got to Australia, he found black swans. So that the whole definition of a swan had to change because it could no longer be defined as a white bird. And it becomes then a parable for anything that disrupts your universe, either personally or like when we had the earthquakes or when we had the 2008 theft with the Great Depression that we had in 2008 or when we had floods in Australia or we had the fires. It's anything that interrupts and disrupts what's happening. Now, black swans come about every five years. We have economic black swans. We have personal ones. You find you could have cancer. Your parents could die. You can have things that come in and affect you radically. And your job is to become, in my view, a black belt of dealing with the unknown that's going to come every five years that will totally turn yourself upside down. For instance, the cell phone is a black swan. When it came, what it introduced was a whole new world of communication. The Internet is a black swan. Hiroshima and the atomic bomb was a black swan. It introduced warfare to a whole new level. Yeah, uh, Some of the new fuel sources like solar panels are a black swan and they're all, they haven't taken hold yet. But the fact remains is there are a whole lot of things that totally change things. So if you want to be in a pre-internet world, you can't even participate in this world. So people without a phone or without internet really are having major problems, especially in the school system here in New Zealand. So part one is a black swan is something that's disruptive. It doesn't have to be caused but it happens. It could be a flood. It could be a tsunami. It could be uh, fires. It could be global warming. It could be anything. It could be, in my case, I broke my back a few years ago. I was a black swan. All of a sudden, my leg became rubber and my nerves detached and I broke my back. And that was a black swan for me personally and for our family group. Okay. So this is a particular level of understanding while there's a tendency to believe that whatever's happening will continue. In fact, periodically we'll have a disruption. This uh, COVID-19, the um, flu of 1918, the Spanish flu was a black swan, killed many people. Some can have great impact. Some can have just in your own family group. When you had to move from Europe, or most of the people in New Zealand came from the UK, that there must have been a black swan that pushed them out. People don't go to the unknown from prosperity. They usually go as the Syrians left. They were forced out. And that was a black swan for the Syrians 10 years ago. 
Does that help at all, Matt? Absolutely. You know, as we're sitting and now, you know, people might be listening to this to this at a future date, but you know, when a black swan occurs, or maybe let's talk about specifically this one in the COVID nineteen. How are you know you call them tall poppies? What are high performers doing at the moment to set themselves apart during an event like this? First of all, they can't do it just now. Ideally, you would have learned from the last three or four black swans. One of the things is you have to have a plan. And part of the plan and a structure would be is to have a written ideal day where when you're in lockdown or when you're in a circumstance, you have to externalize your hopes, your dreams, your beliefs, and your use of time. Otherwise, you go crazy. A lot of people are always looking to outside authority, tell me what I should do, what I should eat, where I should go. And when you stop doing that, people are lost. So one would be to develop the skills to have an internal structure for dealing with the empty space or what are you going to do with a month of free time? Two, many people don't have cash. A lot of people are living hand to mouth. Everyone, in my view, needs two to five years of reserve all the time. That's part of creating wealth. Because when you have a black swan, unless you have an allowance program, i.e. they're going to give money to people to get them through the first three months. But if this lasts for two years, we're going to have an entire disappearing of the middle class because they'll have used up all their asset and they'll all be on welfare, which makes them all slaves to the government. Okay. So part of it would be is to one, have cash and to be able to buy investments of distressed property and other assets and to gather together with other investors, which provides an amazing opportunity for accumulating wealth. Three, you have to keep your mental state going. What can you do? Most of which can be a giving back, a generosity, a kindness, checking out what you can do for other people who may be old or unable to fend for themselves. The fact is that probably half the population can't fend for themselves for more than a few weeks, which is sad. And part of the preparation is for you to have three to five years of assets where you could live off that without having to work. That's part of what we're working on so that when these natural occurrences come, you just sort of switch to your alternate fuel source until the time passes because it always passes. The next is to go back through all of the black swans you've experienced and see if you learned from them or did you hide from them. Each one is an opportunity to get stronger. And if you didn't learn anything, you missed the opportunity. So go back again. What could you have done in 2008 to come out a winner? What could you have done if the, when the earthquakes came to come out a winner? Yes, the government is corrupt. The uh, rebuild of Christchurch was mostly theft and embezzlement, but it did limp its way through. What could you have done to position yourself and the people you love in that corruption and still come out okay? Because I ended up with a new house. I took a lot and there was embezzlement involved by our builders and there was no police enforcement. There was all kinds of weird stuff. What I'm suggesting is that when the black swans come, you have to be prepared as if they're going to come on a regular basis and build a war chest for it of your mind. So it comes up. Now is the time for asset creation. Now is the time to step up and help my neighbors. Now is the time to do whatever we have to do. I don't know if you know it, but Mormon people, LDS people, usually keep a year's supply of food in their basement for times like this. It's an important point to recognize what, what you learn from the last sort of black swan. You know, if we talk about them coming every five years, it's understanding that I guess anyone who is successful has done so in the face of multiple scenarios of, of adversities. Yes. What do you wish everyone knew? If you had to, you know, you could whisper into the ear of the planet or of everyone listening, you know, and you just say, if, if everyone just knew this, their life would be better, the world would be better, what would that be? That you 
are an immortal being called an angel sent to earth to fulfill your destiny and to make the world a better place. Whenever you forget that, you're lost. And your job is to find out what your natural genius, talents, passions, hopes, and dreams are and to fulfill them because they're all wired inside of you and all you have to do is access them. That's beautiful, Dr. Fred. How can people find you, learn more about you, come to a course, have you mentor or coach them? What's the best way to find you? Just my website, drfredgross.com, G-R-O-S-S-E. Dr. Fred, it's an honor and a privilege to um, have been a student of your teachings, but also to talk with you today. I, I wish you all the best in happiness and health, and uh, particularly at the moment, you know, I know there's a lot of people that are, are very um, appreciative for all your teachings and advice. So thank you so much. Keep out the good work, and I uh, hope I get to see you again soon. Thank you, Matty. Thank you for inviting me. Over and out, kiddo. And there we go, Dr. Fred Gross. What a privilege it is to chat with him. He is one of the real sort of originals of, of business and life mentoring and coaching. And you know, some people that I really respect and look up to have um, you know have been singing his praises for years. And it's um, it was fantastic and a real honour to be able to chat with him again. And look, if you do get a chance to to ever go and listen to Fred talk or go to one of his seminars or, or read his books, it's something I really recommend. And like you said, just check out his website, drfredgross.com. I couldn't recommend it more. So I'm very appreciative of his time. So thank you very much to Dr. Fred. And also thank you to you. Thank you for tuning into the podcast and for making the time today. I hope it brought you some value. And once again, hey, look, if there's anything um, I could ask of you back, it would be one, to jump onto iTunes and leave a positive review for the podcast. Alternatively, if you can just share it, someone you know know, like, love, if they're going to find value from Dr. Fred's advice, then please share it with them. You can do it one of two ways. One, just tell them old school in person, hey, go check out the Road to Success podcast. It's on Spotify and iTunes. Or alternatively, whatever platform you are listening onto it now, there'll be a share button. Just hit that and send it to them directly. That's it for me. Thank you so much for checking out the podcast. Have a lovely day. Stay safe. Talk soon. Bye. Bye.